here we are, another week to dig into Scripture. Good to see everybody. Welcome to those of you joining us online. So last week, we covered this topic that seems to have hit pretty close to home to so many of us. It helped shed light on why sometimes when we read the Bible, it just kind of feels stale and a little unrelatable, or why we struggle with our prayers. Either we don't want to pray, or when we do pray, they're just really flat and lifeless. It also explains why we're so prone to backsliding, to returning to those things on that wide, dark path that you see up there. It may also explain why so many Christians actually fear death and why they lack the assurance of salvation or why we don't see much evidence of the Holy Spirit's fruit ripening in their lives. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and ultimately, why we just aren't progressing in any meaningful way along that well-lighted, narrow path to holiness. And of course, all this happens, as we learned last week, whenever we do one thing, whenever we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, it's interesting. I had this conversation with one of our elders this week. Because when we care about somebody or we really like them, we don't want to grieve them. We don't want to hurt them. And we try really hard in our lives not to do that. In many ways, what Paul is doing by writing this is he's reminding us that God loves us and that he is precious and dear to us and that he's given us his Holy Spirit. And so we ought to take probably the same approach we take to our loved ones to God, that we ought to do our very best to not grieve him or hurt him. And we grieve him, as we learned last week, whenever we express thoughts, words, or deeds that are not holy because he's the Holy Spirit. Or whenever we fail to realize his presence in our lives, that he is with us always. He doesn't just show up like so many Christians say, oh, wow, God really showed up today. No, no, he's always been there. Or whenever we fail to respond to his promptings or to seek his counsel, whenever we do any of that, we grieve him or we hurt him, and we experience this distance of sorts. Now, he doesn't ever leave us, for sure, but that perceived distance, it makes room for the self, the ego, our pride, to step back up. And so we start to, again, return to those deceitful desires that once dominated us on that wide, dark path. Of course, there's only one way back to being in communion with him, and it's the same way we got there in the first place. We bend the knee, and we repent. So we learned last week, meaning we turn from the sin that grieves him and we turn back to Jesus. And this means a habitual life of repentance. That is what we signed up for as Christians when we placed our faith in Jesus is that for the rest of our lives we'll be turning from the sin that is tempting us and turning back towards our Savior. And so today, Paul lays this whole repentance thing out in no uncertain terms. It essentially boils down to this. We must turn from grieving the Holy Spirit of God and turn to glorifying him instead. Paul writes, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we covered the first part in blue 
about grieving the Holy Spirit in great detail last week. If you missed it, strongly encourage you, go back and check it out online. It explains who the Holy Spirit is and why grieving him leads to all that we just explained. As we learned, the Holy Spirit is not a power, not a force, not some magical energy that we tap into. He is not an it. He is a person, and he is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He is the person of God who indwells believers. He resides in our inner being whenever we place our faith in Jesus. And Scripture says the Holy Spirit is always about the business of doing two things. He sanctifies and he unites. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us by convicting, counseling, and comforting us to become more like Jesus with that whole putting off the old self and putting on the new self stuff that we've been learning about really for the last couple of months. And the Holy Spirit also unites. Recall Paul taught us a few months back about the invisible church, the true church, and how it's comprised of all the saints, those who place their faith in Jesus, starting in Pentecost, going all the way up to today, with Jesus as the head and the Holy Spirit uniting. That's what he does. And of course, the church plays a central role in God's master plan, which was set in place before the foundation of the world to unite all things in Christ. So the Holy Spirit sanctifies and he unites us as he walks us hand in hand down that well-lit, narrow path of holiness, strengthening us as we mature or as we grow up in Christ. It starts with being justified the moment we place our faith in Jesus and we're washed in Christ's blood. And it takes us up to the moment we're glorified. We mentioned that last week. It's when all sin is finally removed and we stand in God's presence perfectly holy, just like he is. And in between those two points of justification and glorification, we're being sanctified. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to make us holy throughout our lives. So whenever we engage in a thought, a word, or a deed that is unholy, we grieve him, we hurt him, because we are at odds with all that he's trying to do in our lives. And so today, Paul teaches, repent. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God and start glorifying him instead. And Paul follows the same logic that he has with all his other teaching. It's a three-pronged approach. First, we've got to put something off, all those things you see up there that grieve God. And second, we have to put something on, all those things you see that actually glorify God. And then third, he gives us the reason why. Because God in Christ forgave you. Or in other words, simply because you've been born again. So let's take these in order. The things we must put off. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Now these are clearly some nasty, foul behaviors because they are conditions of an inner being that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So let's zip through these fairly quickly since you all probably know what we're talking about here. First, bitterness. It is the condition of persistent wickedness and hatred. We've all been around bitter people before. We know what they look like. They tend to see the bad in absolutely everything, don't they? Second, wrath. Explosive, violent agitation. This is that inflammatory kind of anger we learned about a few weeks back, where we lose it in an instant. It's violent in nature, and it comes out 
whenever our inner being is agitated. Third, anger. Now, the way Paul sets this up, he does it to provide the contrast between wrath and what he's trying to describe here with this word anger. So this type of anger is not the violent kind of outburst. This is the kind of condition where it's a persistent agitation. We see this in people who live in a perpetual state of anger. We can all think about those people, can't we? They aren't exploding all the time, but they bring an angry sentiment with them wherever they go. It may be in their disposition, or it also may be that they have these passive-aggressive tendencies. They bottle up the anger inside, and they slowly let it out, and you never really know when it's coming. And to be clear, in both of these cases, Paul is referring to that kind of anger that leads to sin. Recall, we learned about this about a month ago, anger operates along a razor's edge. There's a thin line between the kind that leads to sin the stuff you see up there in orange, and the kind that does not lead to sin, the stuff you see in blue. The kind of angry, or the anger that actually gets angry at sin itself, or angry whenever truth is in question, or whenever God's glory is being tarnished. So here, Paul is talking specifically about persistent anger that leads to sin. Fourth, clamor. This means brawling and crying out loud. It happens whenever people shout. Now, I know the first time I kind of saw this on the national stage was, you remember the old Jerry Springer show? Um, they used to just shout at each other all the time, right? Well, now, of course, we see people shouting at each other. It's just common in the, on our news channels, or we see a posting of all these outbursts on social media all the time. Clamoring happens whenever our inner beings are so upset that we actually raise our voices. They start to elevate. So whenever you find your voice ticking up, a few notches, you're probably about to engage in clamor, and that's an important way to catch whether you're moving to that phase or not. Fifth, slander, deliberately speaking harmful things about others. Now, we've all been victims of this sort of behavior, and of course, we tend to do it as well, but we know what slander looks like, and it's another thing that sort of marks what it looks like when we grieve the Holy Spirit. And then sixth, malice. The desire to injure another person. When our hearts, our souls, our inner being is in a place where we actually want to hurt someone. It could be emotionally or physically, but either way, we deliberately look to cause others pain. So Paul paints a fairly detailed picture of a human spirit that is not pursuing holiness. This list describes the condition of an inner being that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, so now let's look at the condition of an inner being that actually glorifies God instead of grieving Him. Well, Paul describes it as being kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, these sorts of behaviors reflect the condition of an inner being that is progressing along the path to holiness, walking in communion with the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at these in turn. First, be kind. That means be easy, be good, gracious, pleasant, helpful, and useful to others. Now, in this simple four-letter word, Paul essentially undoes the list of those other things he gave us that tend to grieve the Holy Spirit, because kindness stands in direct opposite to bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander and malice. Who doesn't want to be around kind people? 
They're an encouragement to us. They bring glory to God because they are good, gracious, helpful, and useful, building up the kingdom, strengthening and encouraging others. We ought to all get up each morning and put on kindness because it glorifies God when we do. Second, be tenderhearted. Or don't have a callous, hard heart like we learned a few weeks back. Recall Paul specifically taught us that a callous heart is what characterizes someone before they become born again. So someone who is tenderhearted empathizes and cares deeply for other people. Now in the original language, tenderhearted actually means having strong bowels. So I know what you're thinking. Here we go again. We're talking about that topic. But these are just the words that Paul used. This is not me. And that's probably why we find multiple references to bowels in Scripture. For example, Jeremiah cries out, my bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. So if you're thinking about memorizing Scripture, this isn't a bad one to memorize, right? It could be useful, different parts of the week. So what does this mean? Well, our bowels are actually a central part of our inner being. There's, in fact, a fascinating connection between our bowels, our brains, and our hearts. Did you know that our bowels actually produce the neurotransmitters that comprise so much of our central nervous system, which, of course, plays a vital role in the functioning of our brains and our hearts? So this is all connected. And some of you are looking at me right now like I'm crazy. But seriously, you can Google it. You can spend all day learning about how important our guts are. And it makes sense. Because just think for a moment about what often causes our nasty behavior towards others. Isn't it so often linked to the state of our digestion? It's certainly the case for babies, but even for adults. Think about how pleasant we are when our bowels are operating well, when they are strong, all smiles, right? Because everything in my world is moving along well today. And so whenever that happens, we treat everyone around us gently, tenderly, with kindness, loving them as God loves us. But when our bowels are weak, when something in there sideways, our disposition sours, our inner being becomes agitated, and we are anything but an encouragement to those around us. So a tender-hearted person is good-natured, tenored in how they treat others, marked by kindness, strengthened at their core, all the way down to their bowels, so that their inner being is empathetic toward others, so that they glorify God in their thoughts, in their words, and in their deeds. And then third, we are to be forgiving, which means to pardon, to graciously restore, not magnifying offenses. In other words, reconciling, no matter what has been done to you. And let me just say, I realize many in here today have experienced significant trauma in their lives. We all have at some level or another, but certainly some people have experienced a great deal more trauma than others. And that's because this sinful world is nasty. We can suffer significant pain and hurt at the hands of others. So this isn't Paul minimizing that. He knows all about suffering. He knows all about trauma. And so while forgiveness is no doubt anything but easy, it is what we're called to do as Christians. We are to reconcile graciously, meaning even when the other person doesn't deserve it. In many ways, forgiveness is the ultimate reflection of our desire to live in unity with others. 
So it's choosing to not magnify the situation because you have a sincere desire to restore brokenness. Brokenness in the world, but brokenness specifically in your life. Because whenever we don't forgive, there's a heaviness that builds with the passing of time, and it enslaves us. It's a burden that we weren't designed to carry. It eats us from the inside out, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. After all, the Holy Spirit was the one who was sent to indwell us the moment that we actually place our faith in Jesus and the moment when our sins are forgiven. So forgiveness lies at the root of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's the basis by which he was sent to us because the moment we were forgiven, the Holy Spirit came to live within us. So now, as Paul has taught us throughout most of chapter 4, we must engage in both of these actions. We must put off and we must put on. We have to put off the stuff that grieves the Holy Spirit of God and put on the stuff that glorifies Him. Because just putting off and not putting on leaves a vacuum of sorts, and we're just apt to put the old stuff back on again. So it harkens back to this whole opportunity cost thing we discussed a few weeks back. So let's remind ourselves of this important principle because it's actually the basis for every single decision that we make in our lives. Now, since there are only 24 hours in a day, and if we sleep eight hours like we're supposed to, that leaves us with 16 hours left. During those 16 hours, we have choices to make. We can either choose bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, the things that grieve God, or we can choose kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness, behaviors that glorify God. Now, point up A up there represents someone who chooses to spend all 16 hours grieving the Holy Spirit. At point B, it represents someone who spends half their day grieving the Holy Spirit and half of their day glorifying God. And that's probably most Christians where they're trying to, to land, right? Somewhere in that. It's a little confusing that we would behave that way. But what Paul is teaching is that we must move to point C, glorifying God every waking minute. It's really that simple. And even though we love to make excuses about why we behave certain ways, at the end of the day, it's our choice. We can choose to grieve God, or we can choose to glorify Him. So if you think about it from that perspective, why would we ever desire to live one more day with those things up there in orange, especially since they're so repulsive? Imagine if you spent the rest of your Sabbath day today asking God for the strength that you might need to abandon all that stuff this next week. Imagine, just for a moment, if you spent all of this next upcoming week in communion with the Holy Spirit of God, not grieving Him, because that was your objective. Imagine leading a life where people were happy to see you because you're actually helpful and useful to them. Imagine if you actually chose to participate in God's master plan to live out your role within God's invisible church. Just imagine if you spent all next week glorifying Him instead of grieving Him. Now, in order to do that, of course, you'd have to have the right motivation. And so Paul closes by providing it, because God in Christ forgave you. In other words, because you've been born again, because you've been forgiven, because you have the Holy Spirit, who is your guarantee for the day of redemption. 
So you are going to heaven. And notice the past tense, as God in Christ forgave you. So it's not you're forgiven because you're good enough, or you're forgiven because you remembered all the sins that you did that day and you figured out how to confess all of them. That's not the condition at all. You've been forgiven solely by that red drop of Christ's blood that you see up there, period, nothing else, that's it. It's why Paul was careful to put those two words in there, in Christ, because we're only forgiven in Christ. And not only forgiven, but forgotten. Scripture says, I will forgive their sins and remember them no more. And that's why we aren't choosing to glorify God to get into heaven. It's because we're already guaranteed heaven, because God in Christ has forgiven your sins. So it's a done deal. You're free from the bondage of sin. So that's our motivation. And that's why we choose to spend the rest of our life putting off that nasty stuff you see up there in orange by living a life of repentance. Anytime we catch ourselves grieving the Holy Spirit, we must be eager to repent. Don't wait till the end of the day. Do it right then. Turn from it so that we can turn to glorify Him by putting on the stuff up there in blue instead. That's the choice we have every moment of every day. We can grieve or we can glorify. So what's it going to be this next week? Now this teaching Paul gives us is so well aligned for us to receive communion today because this is where we celebrate our new life in Christ. So we're going to gather at the foot of the cross to contemplate the depths of what it means to be born again and how we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, rather we want to be in communion with Him. And as the writer of Hebrews reminds us, there's never been the forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And under this new covenant, Christ's blood serves as the means to our forgiveness. And that's why before the Lord went to the cross to shed His blood for us, He had a meal with His disciples, instituting communion between God and His people for all time. Now Paul instructs believers to examine themselves before they receive the elements. So today, let's take a few moments and examine ourselves. Make sure we're coming before him in humility, with a repentant heart, in pursuit of holiness, and doing it all for God's glory alone.